Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 28, Act 1, Ed and Mora, Art versus Ageism, Rewiring Perceptions, recorded October 25, 2019, in New Rochelle, New York. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out And the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow The lives allowed are the only roads you can see Just remember the walls were built to fall For people like you and me Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Hey, hey, TA listeners. Thanks for listening. I've often said thanks for being a part of our global community. And I point that out because, one, this podcast is exactly that. Um, Because of you all listening from around the world, we're global. A global community. And two, this podcast was specifically developed to build and support the teaching artist community. Um, And right now we are in uh, a wild, weird, um, and frankly, scary time. COVID-19 or coronavirus has really flipped us all upside down. But I want everyone to know that while we may have to self-isolate or Potentially, there are some um, folks in our uh, circles that may be affected um, health-wise by this virus, that you're not alone. Everything feels completely off kilter, and um, and it's hard when you don't necessarily have the leadership to be able to give you any sort of direction. Um, I feel like that's starting to take stronger shape now, at least in the U.S. um, than potentially before, um, especially on the state level and the city level. Um, Again, this is my experience. Maybe it's different where you are. But I think the other thing to note is while information is coming out at breakneck speed um, and we are trying to manage a lot of things uh, in terms of trying to make decisions, trying to keep our, our all of our different working communities safe and um, financially sound as, as much as possible. Um, the thing that I'm noticing even more right now is how strongly people are sort of banding together, even though we can't necessarily be in the same communal space with each other. So we're we're in a time when 
the digital space, the digital realm is actually a huge asset um, in many ways. And so um, I hope that this podcast can play a small, if not significant role in you feeling like you're a part of a community. Um, and I will do my best to find ways to um, continue to celebrate uh, what we have uh, already shared and what's to come um, and how we will um, manage through this particular moment in time and see our way to the other side of it and see what's possible. Um, I will admit that uh, in last month, you know, I was, I was very low and, and have been for a while. Um, I had this opportunity to go away for two weeks in a very warm climate prior to this outbreak happening as significantly as it has in the U.S. Um, And it really became a nice turning point for me in terms of my ability to cope in 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 the real world Um, being able to sort of nurture myself as a as a creative being as an artist and just as a human, um, getting all that sun, being able to swim a lot, um, interacting with other artists, all of that really helped to recalibrate who, how I was behaving in the world, uh, whether I was alone or with other people. And so if this frankly had happened prior to me being able to go there, I don't know really where I would be emotionally. Um, and not that this is easy in any way, but I just feel like I have more keeping, uh, coping mechanisms in place to be able to handle all of this. The other thing that I'm noticing, um, is how there is this banding that's coming together. So I wanted to share with you, um, some resources that have, have uh, been released and I'm sure there are going to be more, um, uh, virtual spaces where people can convene. So last week, uh, uh, you know, last week, when was last week? Uh, the week of, uh, March 6th. So towards the end of that week, uh, no, no, sorry. March 9th, the end of that week, um, the association of teaching artists, along with many other, uh, coalitions, um, networks, associations came together to have a webinar for teaching artists. And you can find a recording of that webinar on the association of teaching artists website, um, as well as the New York city arts and arts and education website or teaching artists guild website. That's everywhere. You can just Google it, I, I guess. Um, in it, or you can go to the teaching artists, Facebook uh, teaching artistry Facebook page, and then link, link through from there. Uh, in addition, there was an arts and education roundtable meetup um, for arts administrators to talk about how can we support um, the livelihoods of our teaching artists when all this work was sort of going away. And now that New York City public schools are officially closed, um, it's even more crucial that we have these conversations. So um, while there are not necessarily strong answers right now, um, it is so- some somewhat um, hopeful to know how much we're sort of crowdfund- uh, crowdsourcing, connecting with each other to learn from each other and, and to help uh, get some information so we can make some in, in strong, clear, informed choices. 
Um, so I don't, I don't have, I don't have like a, a lot of words of wisdom in this moment, but just know that, you know, you're not alone. Um, and to be safe. So I wanted to kick off this um, month with uh, a little bit of an announcement that uh, Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Bonnie, that's me, uh, is uh, coming together with Association of Teaching Artists uh, in, a, in a partnership. Uh, we are going to have uh, a beautiful three-month series podcast series where we will be highlighting teaching artists, uh, sorry, we will be highlighting guests who won the 2019 ATA awards. Um, so for the next three months, we're going to hear from Ed Friedman and Maura O'Malley from Lifetime Arts, and they received the teaching artist ally award. We're going to hear in April, we're going to hear from Ali, Ali, uh, uh, Santana, and he won the Teaching Artist Innovation Award. And Dale Davis will round out our three-month series in May uh, with uh, the fact that she won the Service to the Field Award. Um, I'm really excited about this. We were able to be a part of the uh, award ceremony that took place in May 2019. Uh, I'm 99% sure that they are planning, uh, Association of Teaching Artists is planning on um, continuing the award, uh, 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 I don't know what the right word is, <laughs> or, you know, the award ceremony, um, in future, though I, I, I will learn more and share with you. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited as someone who was on the board for five years and stepped down after, um, after those five years, I'm super proud of where, uh, ATA has been, um, striving towards and growing towards. And um, I'm really, really happy to be a part of um, making this, bringing this partnership to you. So let's kick it off, shall we? Let's. All right. So as I said, first up is Ed Friedman and Maura O'Malley, who are the co-leaders of Lifetime Arts. Lifetime Arts uh focuses on creative aging. And I have been a long admirer of this organization. It has a very special place in my heart because of my mother. And and in general, I just think that it's wonderful to be thinking really intentionally about serving our arts engagement, social engagement with uh, older, older people. Uh, my mom definitely was an artist. I don't know if she thought of herself as that but she was a singer she was a writer she's a seamstress um and we talk a little bit about her in uh this episode edamora received as i said the teaching arts ally award in 2019 and i chose to travel up to new rochelle to meet them in their brand spanking new office um side note new rochelle is currently under self-quarantine within a wild mile radius end of side note. Okay. But imagine this, picture this, a beautiful fall Friday afternoon overlooking the water in a lovely open space office in a different time. Here is episode 28, act one, Ed and Mora, 
art versus ageism, rewiring perceptions. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hello. Uh, Well, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, Can you introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Mara O'Malley, the... um I forgot my title. CEO. CEO and co-founder of Lifetime Arts. I'm Ed Friedman, executive director and co-founder of Lifetime Arts. Um, and we are in New Rochelle. I don't actually think I've ever been to this This is city. the Queen City on the Sound. It's the what? The Queen City on the Sound. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're on Long Island Sound. Oh, the Queen, the Queen City, city on the Sound. On the sound. Yes. I see. Um, Settled by French Huguenots. Oh, wait. I saw a street. Huguenot Street. Huguenot. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know anything about this space. So what else can you tell me about New Rochelle? New Rochelle is a city in Westchester County. It's about 90,000 people here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very diverse and old city and uh, going through a great growth spurt right now actually oh. uh, lots and lots and lots of apartment buildings uh, being built we're thinking it's going to be the next Williamsburg oh um, also it's um, 32 minutes by Metro North to uh, Grand Central Station that is that is exactly how I got here and it did take 32 minutes or so um, well I'm excited to be here thank you so much for having me and for saying yes to my crazy request and for all the back and forth trying to find a great date to, <laughs> to make this work so uh, why why are we here I'll tell us um, <laughs> um, back in May 2019 you all received an award um, from the Association of Teaching Artists and uh, uh, this podcast was a part of hosting the event where you received the award. I was on the board of ATA, um, and I was a part of that nominating committee and the selection committee. So I was very excited that, you know, what's interesting is that you were both were you, there were several nominations for you. I I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you this, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Uh, there were several nominations for each of you and together. And so it felt really exciting to be able to give it to you together. That's great. That was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. So when you found out, uh, what 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 was going through your mind? Did you even know that you were nominated? No. I had nominated Ed. Oh. So I was one of his fans, I suppose. But I had uh, I was very surprised when we both got uh, when we were nominated together. I think that was really really great actually what happened this is a very lovely office did anything happen like was there a celebration or joy or something that happened all that we do that every day we celebrate (laughs) every day um but we were very thrilled and pleased and surprised um because uh because ata is a great organization and also because teaching artists are core to our work Excellent. What a beautiful segue, Laura. (laughs) Um, um, So can you tell us what is Lifetime Arts and what's its mission? The mission is um, threefold, I would say. Um, It's um, first, I would say it's to um, promote the availability of professional arts instruction to older adults. and then secondly, to train uh, teaching artists to do this work, to work with older adults in sequential arts instruction. 
and to uh, work with community organizations and institutions about promoting the availability of these kinds of uh, programs. Mm -hmm. to add? And I would say that the, the, we have positioned ourselves as a service organization. So for instance, we don't sell programs like some other arts, organi arts organizations mm -hmm. do. We build the capacity of other organizations who serve older adults to develop these kinds of instructional arts education programs for older adults. Mm -hmm. And I would say also that our big sort of overriding mission is to change the narrative around aging uh, from a negative to a positive. Uh, we're in that club, so is everybody actually in the aging club. Mm -hmm. And uh, this whole uh, field of creative aging is really grounded in a positive aging movement that looks mm -hmm. at growing older as a positive uh, phase of life that's beautiful i i um a couple of things i want to just mark for for you all and then i want to tell you about a tedx broadway talk that i attended recently so first my entry point into this and to even knowing that this was work that was possible was actually a presentation or a panel that you were sitting on maura um at face to face the round tables face to face Very conference ago, a while ago yeah. so mm, maybe like a decade or so yep, more maybe, yep. and i just remember a couple of things that i remember were some of the research around how the, the um, impact of arts uh, can be on an aging person's brain um, and other, other um, uh, impacts. And, and I remember um, mainly because I'm, uh, again, I, like my work is not in this particular area. It's mostly in the K through 12 or pre K through 12 um, zone. But um, I remember thinking then how like logical it all seemed, but how, so little I, I knew and a lot of the people in the room knew. And I was also very impressed by you specifically. Like I just remember how clear and I don't know what the right word is, but you were like very poised. That's what it was. You were very poised and it, was, it wasn't it was like, you know, some people give you information and it's like, why don't you know this already? It didn't feel like that. <laughs> it felt very much like I, I understand that this is not a field that people understand or an area that people understand. And I'm, I'm really um, very thrilled to be able to share it in a way that everybody can understand and, and would be excited about. So that positivity that you spoke about that's, earlier. That's was, interesting because it's, um, I think both Ed and I came to this field, uh, not knowing that it was a field. Mm. Um, we came to, to work together um, because we were thinking about older adults, and we were also, both of us, um, sort of uh, uh, veteran arts administrators in New York City, so had had a lot of experience with arts, community arts programming, art, arts education. Right. And so we didn't uh, start out looking for a job or right. looking to build an organization. Um, we came to it as caregivers actually and mm. as arts administrators. Um, so that's, uh, I appreciate that, um, that perspective of my presentation and mm -hmm. that um, we were learning and have continued to learn through all these years right. about how to do this work and what it means. So we didn't come into it having any answers right. to anything. We yeah. didn't even have the questions. 
So, <laughs> um, well, that, I think that's fascinating. I would love to sort of dig into some of the things, the, the points that you made. So what, let me just mark them so that we remember to go back to them. This is why having a pad is smart because yeah. I often on these things say, I have three things that I want to talk about and we only ended up talking about one. Um, <laughs> so I want to learn more about the fact that you are, are a service provider and how, you know, how the structure of, um, supporting other, uh, organizations to actually build the infrastructure to, to work with these populations. So that's one. Um, and then, um, how you came into it. So what was the work that you did prior to, um, either starting or, uh, lifetime arts or, or starting to do this work and, um, you know, that kind of that, where that thread takes us. There was a third thing that I said, right? Well, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to know, um, well, the caregivers, I think that was the piece that struck me. I remember at that presentation thinking very much about my mom, um, and, uh, and then, um, just wanting to know more about that for, for you all. So of those three things, where would you like to start? And then we can go from there. Uh, the, um, I think the caregiver thing is interesting because uh, we, we were both involved in caregiving, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, I had these two parallel careers. Uh, one is in uh, community arts, because I had been at the Bronx Council on the Arts for mm -hmm. like 20 something years. And the other thing is I had started uh, a caregiver support group in the, in the East Bronx, which I had run for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. So I had these kind of parallel interests um, and Maura was actually a hands-on caregiver. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, she was really sort of in the trenches in, in her, with her family. But we, we both came with understanding what the, uh, what the importance of caregiving is, what the stresses on families are, um, and, and what the needs of, of, of older adults are, mm -hmm. and, and not just painting everybody with, with one brush. So, um, so I think when we, when we encountered each other, uh, because Moore and I sort of knew each other peripherally from New York City, from okay. the arts community. And, and then we, we ran into each other on a committee here in Westchester. And I remember sitting at this long table, and I didn't, I didn't really know who she was at the time. I wasn't really putting it together, and she would say these... She has since learned. <laughs> <laughs> she, only too well. Um, uh, and I remember... Norma would, uh, what's your name? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Maura would, uh, would, uh, would make these pronouncements, and I thought, yeah, that's really true, what she's saying. And, and she and did the same. On the other end, Ed would say something. I said, he's right about that. That's how it should be. And we were right. the only two sort of professional arts, ad arts administrators Mm -hmm. in this group everybody else were they were all social workers pretty much ah. and some couple some artists a couple of artists mm -hmm. but anyway so so what happened is we we started talking and um felt like you know we we both had a direction we we thought this could go in mm -hmm. and I, I we really didn't think about starting an organization um we we were thinking maybe we should start a consulting practice you know, mm -hmm. you know we should do this. Mm. We started by helping the committee to establish a regrant program for Westchester County. There was a funding source through the community way, United Way, United way. and um, we were involved in this for months and months. And uh, and 
began to see the need for sort of an infrastructure for some kind of mechanism to actually make things happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, as Ed would say, we would we would end up standing out in the, like the driveway or the parking lot of the wherever the meeting had been for like two hours. I remember one night in particular standing in the snow for two and a half hours oh, wow. talking about what could be done and how this could move forward. And it actually got to the point where our first funder um, asked us uh, outright, she said, all right, full disclosure, you two are a couple, aren't you? <laughs> Hilarious. So she said, no, we're both happily married <laughs> to other people. And um, But it started just in trying to think about how to uh, change senior programming from passive mm. entertainment mm. to something meaningful. And we had both known lots of older adults in our lives that uh, we loved and respected right. and I think saw how in so many institutions and organizations for older adults they were not um, respected or looked at as individuals or <clears throat> considered yeah. as anything but uh, you know a patient or a disease or something so right. it was um, I think one of the great illustrations I think you should tell the story about the assisted living with the poetry Oh, yeah. Um, my mother and my aunt were both in a, an assisted living place in Yonkers. And um, uh, it was a sort of a high-end place. It looked kind of like a hotel. And, um, you know, they had meals in this restaurant-like atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And one day I was in there, and there was a beautifully designed poster on the wall that said poetry. And I thought, whoa, they're finally... You know, they got something going here because other than, you know, they were basically were sing-alongs and arts and crafts and uh, things like that. Right. So I read the poster and it said, if you would like to learn how to write poetry, do not come to this meeting. If you've already written a poem, you are invited to come and share it with other people who have written poems. What? So it was a great big disinvitation to participate in anything. And it was, but they had spent lots of money on this poster and it looked beautiful and basically it said you're not invited. If you want to uh, learn how If to you want to learn anything or if you want to socialize or if you want to wow. be with new people or anything else. The, so the, me that the, was the, the message to me there was, if you haven't learned this by now, it's too late. It's too late, that's, yeah. That's the message, um, like, which is, Stunning and, yeah. and, and felt like a, a, a real smack in the face with this is what's going on here. Um, you know, I, I've said this before, but if you would have asked me what our biggest challenge was when, when we started, I would have said the usual nonprofit stuff, you know, fundraising, board development, all that stuff. Right. I think like maybe five years in, if you ask me that question again, I would say the biggest challenge to this field is ageism. And yeah. it's, it's just so uh, prolific. It's just all over the place. This, this, um, this TEDx, so I went to a TEDx Broadway event um, last month, I think, and uh, there were many, many different speeches, but there's one particular person, which I don't know his name uh, off the top of my head, but um, he was talking about exactly this, ageism, and that actually uh, uh, in this, globally, people over 50 actually have the most amount of wealth mm. and yet 
everything is geared towards, you know, youth culture. And, and, and what, why is that? And so he's trying to crack that nut as like, we are thinking about it wrong and we need to rethink how we're engaging people who are over 50, um, and not in this sort of like passive entertainment or dismissive manner, but actually as fully, um, you know, fully, I don't know what the right word is, but like as full people, yes, right, <laughs> a full with all the yeah. all the colors of the of 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 life and decision making and um viv 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 viviality viviality thank you <laughs> and vibrancy. Um, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say it's so funny to hear you say you know people over fifty. That oh. sounds so young to me. <laughs> right now. I know. I have to be honest. I'm not very far from that. So. <laughs> And it, you know, that's like midpoint, you know, that's yeah. like, uh, uh, so it, it is interesting because it makes you think uh, when you encounter ageism and it's everywhere. I mean, we've gotten, um, you know, proposals from some of the best teaching artists and, and most, uh, you know, accomplished arts organizations for a curriculum based or a project for older adults mm-hmm. that is completely um, ageist. You know, for instance, you know, okay, we're going to have a choir and all those old people can sing uh, television and, and radio jingles from the 30s and 40s. Wouldn't that be fun? And would, would it ever be fun at any age yeah. for any reason? Yeah. And would you want to spend, you know, two hours every week for eight weeks doing that kind of thing? Well, the placemat thing is better. The placemat thing was... <laughs> Um, people, old people who signed up for this project were going to meet once a week for eight weeks Mm -hmm. and they were going to think about and look at, look through magazines to find pictures of foods that they had eaten as children and they were going to cut them out and put them on paper and they would laminate it for them so that they would have a placemat of their uh, foods that they ate as a kid. So it's like, to what end? What, what exactly? That's the kind of that's that's ageist. That's like right. they're old. They must be all. They're almost dead. So they couldn't possibly have any interest or uh, or inquisitiveness or creativity or ideas or experience or desires or yearning to learn or anything else. Right. So it's wow. um, so how okay so there's so many questions. Um, how what are the what are the mechanism like how are you fighting that i guess <laughs> or how, what are the strategies to combat a ageism but uh, but b it sounds like people don't understand either they they don't have great programs to begin with or if they are and they're they're so geared towards this other sector of of our pathway of of working and meeting a different kind of population yeah what we found what is we the found going in with all the the organizations that we worked with, uh, and we started with libraries, which you probably know. We did a lot of work yes. in public libraries, and we still continue to do that. Um, most of the programs are either one-shot deals or passive entertainment, you know, uh, chamber music or, you right. know, some, somebody It's all about, in. like, receiving yes, and not exactly. actually Yeah, not doing anything. And if you were doing something, you were, you were you know, uh, stringing beads or gluing macaroni on cardboard, you know, really right. ridiculous stuff. Um, and, and, you know, one of the ways we, we address this is, uh, is in the trainings that we do 
for both the institutions that we work with, whether it's librarians, uh, senior center program people, uh, of course, teaching artists themselves. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And, and the other thing is uh, the training has also evolved from when we first started. And we now have a whole component about ageism and, and raising people's awareness of, of the elements of, of ageism and, and you know, what, what they need to be thinking about and sensitive to. So how would you define, is creative aging the correct terminology? Well, or would you prefer something? Uh, um, cre creative aging is sort of the is sort of the known. The nomenclature. The no, yes, yeah. It's the, known, the known umbrella. Mm -hmm. And um, actually one of the jobs that we always have is to try to clarify from Lifetime Arts point of view how we think of it. We think of, of creative aging and we use the term to to describe sequential arts education right. basically, basically for older adults. But in the big sort of umbrella of creative aging, there are other areas of practice such as the arts therapies. Mm -hmm. um, and those are important and valid and uh, thriving, but the uh, goal of art therapy is very different from the goal of what we call creative aging programs. Mm -hmm. The goal of the programs that we promote and develop uh, is instructional. Uh, the results are often therapeutic, but the goal is instructional. So it's like the difference between right. learning how to, learning color theory to mix paint uh, or paintings for, uh, you know, for strengthening your fingers. Right. You know, gotcha. so, um, so, but the reality is, is that the successful creative aging programs include not only the mastery of skills and scaffolded skills built over time, but also intentional social engagement, which right. means actually creating environment, creating community uh, for people um, that's accessible, that's supportive, uh, that's ongoing and long term. So, so you you had mentioned earlier uh, that the training has evolved, and now from my understanding and please please correct me if i'm if i'm i'm wrong but my understanding of of where you started is this regranting group i i feel like i was sort of i knew teaching artists who were doing that with you i think um especially in libraries and then to now you are supporting other organizations like what when did that sort of bridge or sh shift is yeah, that the right i think that um well, I, I think that what happened is that as we, um, you know, we had been arts programmers for many years prior to just starting this work in creative aging. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we knew because of practice and experience, most people didn't know. People who are not arts programmers, community arts programmers, don't know how to do this work mm -hmm. and uh, don't know what a teaching artist is. So we found that we had... A, uh, we were asked questions all the time, like, well, what is a teaching artist? And why do you have to pay them? And how do you pay them? <laughs> and how do you, uh, how do you uh, get art supplies for older adults? And we would say, well, how do you get them for kids? <laughs> they actually right. asked questions like that. So, so it was just an institutional sort of block about thinking about older adults as creative people yeah. and as learners. Mm. And that was a big leap for people to... Um, to take, and that's why we, from the very beginning, uh, wanted to demonstrate these programs and actually make them happen so people could see, see. what it looked like when professional teaching artists mm. worked with 
older adults in a learning environment. So can you share with the listeners, what does it look like? I imagine that there are quite a few people who have not worked in this, in this way. And if I think this is a prime opportunity at the very least to uh, pull back some of the, the pull the veil back a little bit. So what are some of the programs that you either you are supporting unlike table mats, right? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, or you, you have done in the past. Everything, everything, whatever, you know, that's one of the great things about this work is Mm. that uh, it's constantly evolving and whatever, you know, you might have a teaching artist who works with three different communities um, and every, and she may, he or she may use the same curriculum, but it's going to be different every time they implement it because of who's in the room, Mm -hmm. because the people who are in the room can range anywhere from 55 to 105 years old. Mm -hmm. It's three generations. And they're all bringing stuff to the table right no this is this is the big one of the one of the major differences here from k to 12 is that you know uh, a teaching artist goes into a a space and has a curriculum and this is what we're going to do right and what happens very often is teaching artist comes to a library or a senior center Mm -hmm. and does not know what he or she's getting into doesn't right. know what skills the people are bringing or experience or lack of experience so you know one of the things i don't come from an arts education background uh-huh. i learned a lot from from maura but i learned this this phrase differentiated instruction oh uh, yes and it was like it was a huge uh, op- really opened my eyes mm. and and to watch i remember going to the brooklyn public library and watch um i'm trying to think of her name now the visual artist beth's somebody um but but you know she she would she would walk around this horseshoe Mm. and you know she'd work with everybody and people clearly were at different stages of Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. and wherever they were she she would get them to the next level that's lovely and it was it was really really eye-opening so it's interdisciplinary is what i'm hearing it doesn't have to be one particular art form correct and then there's specificity within those genres yeah that's something interesting Mm -hmm. here's an example of what Maura was saying about working with organizations that didn't know anything about this, mm-hmm. we were starting off with the, with the libraries, and I remember, forget this, the woman who was the liaison said, because we would be very specific, because this is what would happen. When people hear older adults in the arts, they think of arts and crafts. Right. Or at most, they'll think about drawing. Okay. So we had to be very specific and say, it's visual, literary, performing arts. But oh. that wasn't enough. Right. They didn't really know what that meant, mm. so we really we were asked to come up with a list of a glossary, a glossary of terms, basically of art forms, <laughs> genres, disciplines. You know, under visual arts, there's painting, drawing, collage, printmaking, yeah. blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah, mm-hmm. on and on and on. And because if you're not an arts person, you, you generally don't know, don't know that right. stuff. So it was our job to help people oh, wow. know what even what the possibilities could be. So we have supported programs in you know, graphic novels, rumba, digital memoir, um, LGBT improvisation in museums, anything you can think of and anything that you may not have thought of. Mm. What a, it's all possible. Well, how thrilling. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And um, so I know Annie Montgomery, who is your director of education, is that right? Yes. She's your secret weapon. She's your secret weapon. She's mine too. Uh, she, she, uh, she has, uh, well, sorry. Uh, 
once upon a time <laughs> I worked at the new school and I was teaching a course called art, the arts and community and the way it was structured, the framework was sort of like um, working with graduate students who are artists of uh, interdisciplinary artists who may or may not be interested in teaching necessarily, but would want to have some sort of community engagement. So the focus uh, I sort of framed it of like, where are the places and who are the people that you could be right. engaging and what are the approaches in each of those mm -hmm. uh, spaces? Mm -hmm. So I had her come in and talk about working with older populations mm -hmm. and it was fascinating to see the work that she did. I mean, she did a little bit of the, she talked a little bit about re rewirement. Mm -hmm. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love for you to share a, a bit about that, but also she talked, she sort of took us through an introductory, like, day one kind of lesson plan mm -hmm. and it, we didn't do any like art form it was right. all community so that right. social piece that you were right. talking about and that was a real eye, eye opener yeah. for all of us in the room yeah. in certain yeah. ways um so that so that's part of the training i would imagine but it's yeah. also part of the work that you do or what a teaching artist would do in any of these spaces right. but you're also sort of blowing my mind because i don't think i was understanding maybe because I'm so I am an arts provider I assume that you were only working with arts providers as a, as, as opposed oh, no. to these other spaces where libraries or community centers that don't don't, don't necessarily have the arts yeah. background to understand yeah. what no, we work those possibilities with, with, are um, with uh, senior residences residencies mm. with with uh, senior centers with YMCAs with public libraries with uh, museums with all kinds of organizations. Right. Uh, so it's wherever, um, the way that we think about it is that we work with organizations who work with older adults or who should work with older adults. Gotcha. Uh, and so that's, that's a big, big, uh, big pot of people. You know, that's a lot of different organizations. Yeah. Um, community organizations, <laughs> community development organizations, uh, uh, faith-based organizations that mm. have uh, community service groups. Uh, is kind of endless. Yeah, I mean, you're still veterans groups blowing my mind a little bit because there's, there's I see like um, inf I just wrote the word infinity <laughs> because it feels like there's an infinity of kinds of art form Absolutely. potential programs, mm -hmm. different kinds of places, spaces, and types of pla of, right. of organizations right. that this work can live inside of. The other thing is that... And then all the, like, myriad things that people bring yes, to the thing. Yes, So, uh, So take a wow. public library, for mm -hmm. instance, uh, and we have seen this many, many, many times, where you have 15 people in a room, mm -hmm. and they range from 55 to 105 years old. Um, one of my favorite experiences was actually in the Brooklyn Public Library. It was a memoir-writing program uh, run by Dave Johnson, I think. And uh, in that room were about 18 people, including a guy who was a retired documentary filmmaker cool. and a woman who had just finished learning how to read at the public library. Wow. She was a 68-year-old woman who had raised kids and worked all her life and was illiterate and went to the Brooklyn Public Library to learn how to read, and then joined the memoir writing class. Are you kidding me right now? No. Yeah. Let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. Like, living a whole life, you were just talking about how... There's and this was in Brooklyn. This wasn't in some. This no, wasn't in some foreign country. I mean, I live right. I live country. very close to that. Yeah. <laughs> the Brooklyn, the I Brooklyn grew up near library. There, yeah. But, the, but that idea of, like, 
thinking that people at a, of a certain age, let's say that, uh, they don't want to learn. Like that's such a amazing story. And then to feel the ripples inside of the fact that these people are both in the same class or the same, in the same uh, class working residency. together with a teaching Beautiful. artist who is skilled enough mm-hmm. and, uh, and, um, empathetic enough and has enough of a sense of humor and flexibility <laughs> right. that he can create an environment where all these people are learning. That's cool. pretty great. You yeah. know, we've had other things where, you know, a, a choral group on Staten Island, the culminating event, all these programs have culminating events, uh-huh. which is really important. Yes. Um, where people get to share their work mm-hmm. and also, uh, people get to watch and look at and listen to these older adults who are doing amazing things. Um, but in this choral group in Staten Island at the culminating event, uh, the director announced the engagement of two of the choral members. They were in their eighties. They met at the chorus and they got married. Isn't that great? Oh my God. I love that. Now, now the other, the other side of this, the, the other side of this equally impactful was the, the, the poetry program at the, at the Pelham Library. Uh, one of the um, participants about two weeks before the culminating event, her husband passed away. And she actually came to the culminating event. She had written a poem about her husband's oh. passing. And she got up to read it and she was having trouble and the, and the instructor, he himself, an older adult, said, you want me to help you? And he came and he put his arm around her and he read this poem. Everybody was crying, you know, it's, it was very touching. And uh, this woman, I guess, was in her early 80s and um, we spoke to her afterwards and uh, she said, you know, I used to be uh, afraid of, uh, of dying alone. And getting older too. Yeah. And she said, but these people, they all showed up. They they helped me through this. They were they were part of her community. They were part of her community and they, they supported her. Mm. And and this is one of the things that is this great effect. And here's here's the real difference between these these programs that are one shot programs. People go to a library or a community center and they hear a chamber concert, people clap and they walk out. They've made no connection to each other. Yeah. They've just basically saw this. They had a nice time and nothing wrong with that. That's mm-hmm. great. They should keep doing it. But these programs, because they're sequential and people work together mm-hmm. and the teaching artist sort of, you know, brings them together in this, in the work and get them to know each other, that when these programs end, those relationships didn't end. Right. These people stay together. And, and that, that has an impact far beyond the eight or nine weeks that workshop took place right uh, one of the things that's interesting about the whole social engagement piece is that as you get older there's a sort of a natural uh series of losses that Mm. take place Mm -hmm. um you know you retire your kids grow up move away your husband dies you stop working all these things happen and so there's a series of loss after loss after loss and so it's really super easy to become socially isolated Mm -hmm. as you get older and that's one of the um, things about this work that is uh, actually becoming um, 
in terms of continuing the work, to talking about social isolation of older adults is becoming mm. very important for us mm -hmm. because it's being seen medically as, it's being called sort of the new smoking. It actually has physical detriment oh. um, that is, uh, you know, been researched and, and, and uh, evaluated that, that social isolation, especially for older people, has a physical and emotional mm -hmm. and mental um, impact, negative impact. So these programs, which cr they create community, and also they, it's not only within that classroom, but part of the work that we do is to um, work from the sort of institutional level to make change at the local level, so that we work with systems, like <coughs> library systems. Mm -hmm. Like right now, we're working with the American Alliance of Museums. We're working with the National mm -hmm. Assembly of State Arts Agencies. We're working with the National Guild for Community Arts Education to begin to institutionalize the programming and the theory behind it right. so that people change the way they do work, so that people change their budgets, so that they change their staffing, so that they realign their resources to address uh, the fact that the population is growing, ra uh, aging rapidly, mm -hmm. and that you know statistically, demographically, there are going to be a lot of more people over sixty-five than under five in the next ten years. So, um, you know, yeah. everyone's got to adjust to it. It's, uh, so it's not just about <coughs> programming; it's about institutional, systemic, cultural change mm -hmm. about how we approach uh, our work. And I think that. One of the great and exciting things about it is that it impacts not only individual teaching artists and individual older adults who participate, but it, it changes the way that institutions work and look at people, uh, especially older adults. Uh, library systems, you know, we're working with a group of state libraries and state arts agencies um, and, and actually state um, uh, agencies on aging mm. and helping them to actually sort of uh, cross-pollinate uh, to look at older adults collectively as constituents for all those groups mm. libraries old you know arts programs they're all they all serve older adults but they hardly ever talk to each other right you know at these higher levels and so that's part of the part of the kind of um, institutional work that we do um, so you know when I walked in today like five people said hi to me <laughs> that's all i saw maybe six maybe six so uh, you're talking about a lot of big big things big movement big uh work that needs to happen hi where is where's your army you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question um you know, we, uh, that's one of the things that's much more fun to be in the arts side of, of, <laughs> of this work than on the social service side of this work because we have a lot more fun than social service people in general. Mm -hmm. But um, we partner with anybody who will talk to us. <laughs> right. And, um, and I, I think personally that that's um, largely the key to our success is that there's nobody who should be left out of this work uh, there's nobody that we won't talk to uh, who, uh, you know, if they're aligned with our thinking about right. this, this work. Uh, and so we've built partnerships, and, and actually the way that the programs get implemented is all through partnership development. It's mm -hmm. through people actually talking together and agreeing to work together. Um, so that's, I think, a big part of the work that we do is uh, 
you know, and we work with, with, uh, we form partnerships. There's money exchange sometimes, sometimes there's not. Right. Um, we have a, lots of different consultants who work uh, on project base for us, and we have an amazing uh, staff. Yeah, we really have an amazing staff. And so, so how do you two work together? And then, you know, in, in terms of the staff, what's the infrastructure? Like, how who's working on what? I don't know. You don't have to go into the details of like the you organizational structure. The but I just mean like, you know, with your staff, with your your the strength of the staff. Like, you know, is there somebody who's focused specifically on building those partnerships, and then there's a handoff, or is it is it like what's the segmentation? I guess. Yeah, well, it's really interesting yeah. because this has really evolved, mm. uh, you know, because it was at one point it was just the two of us. Right. And it was at several points it was just the two of us. <laughs> like for the first like four years, four years. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Wait, how when, long is the organization? Uh, this, organization? Is our, this is the end of our 11th year. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, right. the first four years we were in an extra room in Maura's house, right. I mean, you know, and, wow. uh, so. And Ed was still working at the right, council, council, at the Ross right, Council, so right. he would come over in the evening and on weekends. Wow. It was, and I quit my job uh, to start this. I we I gave myself one year. Wow. To do this. That's brave, Maura. I have a very nice husband. <laughs> <laughs> so. Where where were you working? Sorry, I know I, I asked a different question. School. You were in stu- mm-hmm. you were in studio yep. school. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've been around. Cool. We'll talk. Uh, uh, so okay, so so f- initially it was right. You so this two involved for, for it was just the two of us, and then, and, and we just basically split everything. I mean, Morris told the story the other day when we applied for our our um, not for profit status. We literally took the however many pages it was, ripped it in half, and said, "You take this half, I'll take this half." <laughs> wow! Um, and we did it, and mm-hmm. um, and I think it's. Uh, I think of the in the last few years, there are things because we've had to become you know a more grown up organization because now we have the space and we have employees and we have you know all of a sudden there are things like you know insurances and we have like five different insurances and mm-hmm. all of a sudden so you know there there are there's, there are certain things that um, that Maura does. There's certain things that I do. There are certain things we still do together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we've done more uh, in the last few years, especially because we've uh, we've gotten this terrific staff together, is we've basically handed things off, mm-hmm. and we basically said, okay, we got a great director of education, and you know, and we're connected to the staff, but we really give we trust them, and we give them a lot of um, uh, responsibility. And and we're getting closer to um, to uh, sort of prepping the next generation, the next leadership level, because mm-hmm. we're not going to live forever. <laughs> we're <laughs> well, and we, we started this relatively late. In our, yeah, we both had full careers before we started right, this whole right, thing. Yeah, Ed has retired several times in his life, and this is. <laughs> I I said when we started this, I said to Maura. I, I said, how long you want to do this? And she said, I don't know, about 10, 15 years. And she said, how long you want to do this? And I said, maybe five years. Um, yeah. yeah. No, we're still here. <laughs> so, um, but uh, we are trying hard to, um, and I think to a certain degree, we have succeeded to create a, a learning environment here in the office yeah. where we are, um, there's nobody here who can say that's not my job. Uh, we all work on everything, but we're getting uh, 
actually fairly sophisticated in terms of project management because mm -hmm. we have multiple, multiple projects yeah. going on. And, um, and they keep on coming. Uh, right. So, you know, I, I do, Ed, and I do a lot of the um, sort of uh, project design, mm. program development, and sort of the uh, development of relationships with funders and other partners. Um, Ed does all the financial and, you know, the backroom stuff. Right. He wears a visor most of the time. <laughs> Definitely. But, but I think, now, now you, your listeners can't see this, but you came in and you saw that this yeah. is a completely open space. Yes. And that, I think, uh, that helps with the, uh, the cross-pollination of information right. and, and stuff. And also our own staff. We have people here from 23 years old to uh, Ed. Right. Which is, uh, you know, <laughs> just had his birthday. Happy birthday, Ed. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of fascinating that way, yeah. too, and that we have multiple generations working yeah. here. Thank you for listening to Episode 28, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Ed and Mora, Art versus Ageism, Rewiring Perceptions. Join us next time for Act 2. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry and on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Now, let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Ooh.